Rent is not yet canceled. Incorporated, how unregulated industry kills or injures thousands of Americans every year and what you can do about it. We have invited Dr. Goldhaber back to bring us up to date on that subject in light of the pandemic, especially as it relates to our most vulnerable communities. Welcome back to our show. Glad to be with you, Leonard, and I hope you're staying safe along with all your listeners. So far, so good. We'll, we'll see. I haven't been tested. Uh, you, you say that the coronavirus story has been a greater warning story than anything you've seen in your 43-year career as, as a warnings expert? That's correct. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. Uh, the, in the field of warnings, we try to basically tell you what the hazard is, how you're at risk, what the dangers are that you're facing in every aspect of your life. And then the most important part, what can you and I do to prevent getting hurt or killed or our loved ones getting hurt or killed? What actions can we take? So using that as a framework, if you look over the last 50 years of research in our field in warnings and safety, in a good day, you're lucky if 20%, 30% of Americans will follow your advice. As you're not saying, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Now, in the field of warnings, that's about where we're at. And no matter how good a job I or others do in making great warnings and telling the public what they need to know about, it's still a free country. People decide what poison they want. Now, in, the, in this case with COVID, totally upside down. The research findings are totally non-predictive because I'm looking at data right now this morning that show 80%, even higher, 84% of Americans have now stated to several polling companies that they are wearing masks most, if not all of the time when they go out of their houses. And wearing a mask is the single most important behavior we can engage in to prevent the danger. In this case, COVID's the risk, the danger that can hurt or kill us. And I, I, I'm stunned when I even repeat this statistic to you, Leonard, 84%. This is great news. I mean, it's yeah. fabulous news. And what makes it even better is that we still have these, let's say in statistics, we have a word, we call it an outlier. That means that <laughs> in this case, somebody who's out and out lying, but it's uh, outliers are those whose behavior is outside the norm. And, for example, just yesterday, and I'm not trying to get political. This is not my area. I'm just trying to say that. We're going to be political whether we want to or not, Dr. Goldhaber. That's part well, of the I guess story. We have to, I guess we have to be political that the president of the United States, even though they're trying to restart his campaign and make him in the voice of COVID briefings again, and everybody's holding their breath Will he go back and prescribe Lysol and bleach. And I guess he did it again. <laughs> he did, he yes. couldn't get out of his own way. He, he comes out and he says that uh, hydroxychloroquine, it's back in the news, and yeah. we need to, and the respected doctors, and who are these people? It turns out it's a witch doctor 
who claims that aliens are behind vaccine preparation and so on. So he's saying these stupid things. Basically, they're stupid. And as a warning scientist, that's all I can tell you. I mean, I believe in facts, science, medicine, and health, and I, I cannot for the life of me understand. But good news, 84% of Americans are saying, nah, no thanks, we're not going after hydroxychloroquine, which has been proven to be dangerous. It's not just that it doesn't work. It's deadly. It can, kill, it can cause serious heart problems and liver and kidney problems. And the FDA has removed it. So as a warnings expert, I'm listening to the FDA's warnings and the scientists' warnings and Tony Fauci's warnings, who was asked this morning the very question. He said, well, the president's back uh, talking about hydroxychloroquine. He said, I stand by the FDA warnings, it should not be used, it won't. There's no science behind it. So the American public has shown good instincts. I hope it's uh, continuing, 84%. Now, we see pockets of people who are throwing parties and, uh, and whatnot, but for the most part, uh, 84% are wearing a mask. That's why I say this is the warning story of a lifetime letter. But you note that the literature in your field has overwhelmingly concluded that most warnings fail to get either the attention of or compliance by their intended audiences. So why that's, do you think that is? Right. I mean, despite well, the fact that, as you why. say, polls indicate that 80-something uh, percent of the public believes that face masks and coverings and social distance practices are good ideas, uh, along with frequently washing and uh, disinfecting your hands. Still, uh, there are people who, uh, the, the people who probably should be paying the most attention are not paying attention. Is there some reason for that? Is there a psychological reason for that? Yes, there is. And uh, if you look at some of the visuals, for example, here in New York, uh, we were stunned to see pictures of a party in the Hamptons where a rock and roll group, a, a music group, was performing what was supposed to be a, a drive-in movie-type concert where you stay in your car and watch the entertainers perform on stage, which would be relatively safe because you wouldn't be any uh, risk of being with other people or the performers wouldn't be at risk. However, that rapidly degenerated into people getting out of their cars and in close proximity dancing, and, and, and uh, there were hundreds of people, and pictures were sent over the Internet, which I caught a glimpse of. Now, the, the answer to your question is very simple. Who are wait, wait, there, are other, there are other cases. The governor is having uh, restaurants closed down in places like Astoria, where uh, so many people, young people mostly, uh, were out in the streets in front of the in in front of the restaurants without masks on, uh, not practicing social distancing. Uh, so, um, is this this is not a political thing? I'm I'm assuming that not all the people who have been attending coronavirus parties and crowding in front of restaurants and bars and packing beaches and pools are political conservatives. That's correct, and it's not about politics in this case. You said it a second ago young people. In the field of warnings, I've done a dozen studies published 25, 30 years ago, that's how old this stuff is, that has predicted that risk-taking is an attribute, and this shouldn't surprise your listeners, risk-taking. People who are willing to take on a lot more risk 
are more likely to be people under 25 years of age. And that's precisely the demographic we're seeing crowding into bars on the streets, into restaurants, and onto boats and parties and so on. Here in, I'm in Cape Cod right now, and there was a big uh, uh, Cape Cod ferry to Provincetown that was packed, packed with hundreds of people partying on the boat. And they were all young people for the most part. And that's a group that research predicts are willing to take on more risk. Why they take on more risk? Well, you have to go back to the early studies on smoking. Younger people were taking on that risk in smoking because they said to themselves, and we found this in studies we did, that they, were, they knew that they could possibly uh, get killed or injured from smoking, but it wouldn't happen for 20, 30, 40 years. It's that feeling of invulnerability that psychologically drives younger people to take on more risk. And it's a short-sighted, foolhardy endeavor because of two reasons. Number one, uh, the research coming out of hospitals now is showing that we have very serious uh, uh, effects of COVID that are addressing young people who we're seeing in hospitals now. Uh, Not that they're dying necessarily, but they are uh, engaged in some very serious, they're presenting with serious symptoms and long-term effects that can last even months after they've been released from the hospital. So their feeling that they are invincible is not borne out by the medical facts and science on the ground. And the second problem that I have... Wait, wait, wait. I want to add to that. I want to add to that. It just I read just yesterday that they're discovering that in some cases the uh, effects after you have gotten past uh, the illness may last the rest of your life. Some that's of the correct, and that's there'll uh, be some brain damage and, and other problems that will last the rest you of your life. Look, they're getting tired. Uh, there's a definite age difference in the research we're seeing on who is willing to take what risk with COVID. And it turns out that under 25 is the trick point. At around 25, sometimes as high as 30, people are willing to mitigate this by going out and and they're saying, I'm tired, I want to go out and be with my friends. Look, I don't challenge that human beings are social creatures. It's just that for the short term, we need to figure out ways of engaging socially with others that lower the risk. Because the second factor that when you're having a few drinks with your friend and you're not thinking straight because you're just out for a good time and you think you're invincible, uh, you're forgetting that that young person has a parent or has an older brother or sister or a grandparent or comes into contact at work with older folks who may not have uh, such a perception of vulnerability and may in fact themselves be more vulnerable to a virus because of a pre-existing condition. And pre-existing conditions exist at all ages. We have infants with pre-existing conditions. And so it's, a, it's really short-sighted thinking. It's foolhardy. And uh, I think in New York State, the governor of New York is absolutely correct in condemning with all the force he can and taking whatever actions he can. Unfortunately, this isn't a police state. Uh, this isn't as communist China has indicated. You know, they have millions of troops around to watch what you do and fall through. So a lot of this 
is coming down to voluntary action, which comes back to my first point. Eighty-four uh, percent is 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 indicating nationally that they're following the uh, mask wearing behavior. And if you're wearing a mask, that's at least one sign that you're respecting the severity of COVID, such that you're willing to take that one precaution. Uh, and hopefully that will mean other things too. You won't go into a concert. Uh, we're seeing this. Uh, even I mentioned to get back to the president. Uh, he tried a foolish thing with this rally in Tulsa, and uh, a number of people have come down. And even his uh, most uh, avid supporters have talked to him about canceling, and he canceled the Republican convention in Florida, which was strictly an ego trip for him to bring together a bunch of screaming Republicans to cheer him on and feed his ego. And fortunately, and, and the health be darned, but the, uh, the, even the White House got the message. And I can't help but think that they're getting the message even clearer when a couple of days ago, the security of the national security advisor, Robert O'Brien, was diagnosed as positive. And remember, this guy comes into contact with the president three to four times a day. So maybe that got through to the president. I don't know. Well, uh, I'm not going to get into the whole matter of whether we're, we have a police state or not. Uh, there are all sorts of things that are irrelevant to this conversation that are going on in, in uh, Portland and Seattle and the, maybe Chicago uh, that make it sound like we are veering into a, a police state. But I was interested in, uh, in the list that you gave of people who are less likely to follow warnings, not just teens and people in their early 20s, but also males, I guess, because some men feel this would be unmanly to uh, to be afraid of, of it. People with only a high school degree or less, risk takers, people familiar with products or situations who feel compliance is too costly or, or feel to perceive a product or situation as hazardous. And also, of course, some politicians, for whatever reasons they have, uh, to, to make some kind of point, I guess. And the, uh, the point is, you're absolutely correct, but they correlate very closely. Young people perceive the risk to be not that uh, strong for them. So you have low perceived hazardousness. That's the technical term, but basically in simple English means, I don't think that's as dangerous as, it, as it's being talked about. People with lower education are less likely to pay attention to the science because factually they have low education and they don't read as much. And what they read is not really what they're reading. It's what they're watching. And so they get their news from Facebook or Yahoo or television. And it's not always the the science that's coming through these people. And so when you put the pattern together of low education, younger people, males, you have a young male out drinking who may not have a high school education or maybe high school educated only, who thinks this isn't as dangerous. And so that's a perfect storm, a stew created for the type of person that would ignore a warning. Now, the good news is, and I don't think it's good that anybody dies from COVID or gets sick from COVID, but the fact is that the overwhelming majority are taking this thing seriously. But to those that aren't, those are exactly the people that I've zeroed in on who aren't doing it. And that's where the government should be targeting with its resources for persuasion and good, solid information, which comes back to... 
This is Leonard Lopez at large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. And my guest is Dr. Gerald Goldhaber, who uh, has written a book called Murder Incorporated, How Unregulated Industry Kills or Injures Thousands of Americans Every Year and What You Can Do About It. He also has a newsletter, and uh, he's been discussing um, how what he's written about in his book now applies to the current situation. Sorry for interrupting you, but I have to give those station IDs on a regular basis. Finish what you were going to say, please. No, no problem at all. I think the good news, and this is why, again, it's the warning story of my life, is that so many people are ignoring the, the junk science and the junk-filled politicians who have no real basis in talking about this other than scoring political points. And uh, the good news is people are uh, valuing Tony Fauci, the uh, top scientist in the world on this topic, and his, his, his yesterday at the right laugh. The president's concerned why Tony Fauci's ratings are higher than his. Yeah. When you're, he said nobody likes him. Against, yeah, right. Nobody likes me. Well, poor you. It's not <laughs> about you. This is the thing that just galls me. He's trying to make this about him. It's a pandemic, Mr. President. It is not a personal thing about you. The the pandemic didn't target you. It didn't say let's make Donald Trump's life miserable. It's, it's trying to make all our lives miserable, and we have to be, as a people, coordinated and work together to fight this. And we have the good news on the mask, by the way, I want to finish this thought. On the mask wearing, uh, the science is now, this is, a, this is an incentive for those 16% who aren't wearing it. Uh, the science is now finding out that not only will the mask protect others from you if you cough or sneeze, because that's basically how COVID spreads, the most important likely way it's going to spread to you is by you breathing the same air as I'm breathing in close proximity to me while some droplets from one of us uh, comes out of our mouths or nose. And, and, and before it drops to the ground, one of us inhales them or it goes through our nose or our mouth. And so therefore, uh, the mask also, this is the good news, uh, if you don't want to care about me, Leonard, then put the mask on to care about you because the new science is showing that the masks actually have a significant amount of protection, provide a significant amount of protection for you, the mask wearer, as well. So that wearing the mask will protect you to a great degree, not totally, not totally. It depends on how close you are, how much virus is sneezed or coughed out, uh, and, and what kind of mask you're wearing and so on. But even the the uh, lowest quality masks that cover we call them face coverings, uh, those will give you certainly some degree of protection. I can't quantify it, but for two reasons: one, you'll protect definitely at a high level the other person if you care about other people. But even if you're selfish, wear it anyway. If your only motive is to protect yourself, I congratulate you. Uh, just put it on. I don't care what you're thinking. Put that mask on every time you go out or in, indoors, especially if you're anywhere within six to ten feet of somebody. Make sure you keep those masks around you. Now, I have another piece of good news, and this is really encouraging. I noticed this morning the fashion industry, some of the major houses in fashion are coming out with their fall designer fashion mask statements. 
And once that industry gets it, this it's becoming the bad news is they think it's going to be around a while. They're investing a lot of resources in masks, but I can easily see people now putting masks on for for a. Uh, well, have you got the latest Diane Vaughn's first in mask? Well, I'm wearing my to exist mask. <laughs> But that's good news. If anything that'll get people to wear face coverings, I'm all in favor of. Although we did have some people who had swastika masks. Some protest that it infringes on the constitutional rights. How do? What would you say to somebody who was saying that to you? That wearing a mask is a constitutional right that's violated? No, no. No, that being forced to wear a mask is infringing on their constitutional rights. No, no, no. Uh, listen, no they, they carry uh, side, don't uh, tread on me and things like that. Well, that's just being silly because we have had seatbelt laws for decades and you get fined and ticketed. There's no constitutional right that says you have the right to, to die uh, and, and kill somebody in an auto accident. You have to wear your seatbelts, and that's a law. We have lots of laws on the books that are protective of yourself and others and people engage in safe behaviors because the law requires it. Unfortunately, as I said earlier, if you're left to your own means, not many people follow safety warnings. But when you get stiffening, stiffening of the penalties, by the way, the one question I had as a warnings expert is why is 84, why are 84% suddenly going from 20 to 30% for most warnings followed to 80, 85%? And I, have, I went back to my own research on this, and years ago I published some studies that showed that people start to take it seriously, that is, safety and warnings, when they believe it's not just – see, we have signal words that we use with warnings, caution, warning, danger. Danger wasn't good enough. My research showed that it had to be lethal or deadly in the mind of the beholder, and I think that's what we've got here. People are actually believing that this, and they should, 150,000 Americans as of this morning have succumbed to this. That's what we know about. The number is probably a lot higher because they're not counting all the people who died at home with, without being diagnosed the cause of death. So somewhere over 150,000 have died. So that's pretty lethal. That's deadly. And I think that's why people are following the, the mask warning and, and, and socially distancing because they think, they not only think, I think they believe and know that it's deadly and lethal. And that's what the research predicted 20 to 30 years ago. Well, people were pretty much complying uh, until Memorial Day, although we did have uh, people like the president saying it will all end when the weather gets hot. But you say the perfect storm hit on Memorial Day weekend. So has our nation reached a turning point with regard to the, the coronavirus, or was that just uh, an aberration for a month or so? I think at the time it was an aberration, unfortunately, because of the fact that we mixed politics with science. Once Memorial Day came and uh, we had uh, the certain states, if you look at the states and what people did and who did what and why, you'll notice that in the Northeast and throughout a swab of the Midwest, but mostly in the Northeast, and I mean from Maine right down through Maryland and over to Delaware and Pennsylvania, the governors took very strong steps, and those were not political steps. Those were science-based steps. They had teams of top doctors advising them. They had phased-in reopenings. 
Even in New York City, as you well know, we still have no indoor dining and restaurants. Indoor pools are closed. Uh, gyms are closed. Uh, museums are still closed or subject to very strict uh, guidelines on their reopening. Indoor gatherings are being monitored very closely. This was not the case in states where we saw the spikes. Unfortunately, politics again got in the way. Uh, I'll be very blunt. Trump lapdog governors ignored science, and in some cases in Florida, it was shameful. DeSantis fired his top medical people who were tracking the virus, and they have been releasing phony data to the citizens of Florida. Fortunately, the same people are still tracking the data, and through them and Johns Hopkins, they've been releasing to the public the actual numbers. But what's happened is that the governors, I sadly say for political reasons, dropped the ball and allowed their cities and state uh, populations to reopen economically, uh, listening to the uh, White House's uh, party line, which is all politically driven. He wants to get reelected. He thinks the economy is his high card, and he thinks if people aren't working, that the economy will tank, and he ignored the virus. And that's what those governors did. And we see this in Florida, Georgia, Arizona, Texas. California is a totally different story. It shows you that, I mean, Governor Gavin Newsom is certainly not a Trump lackey, but still California is a huge state, 40 million people, and apparently the people decided, some of them, and that's why there's, particularly in Los Angeles County, uh, to ignore the uh, safety warnings, and now they're forced to go back and shut down uh, a lot of the uh, uh, reopened businesses. We're going back to square one. Uh, so uh, it's becoming a... Go ahead. In your book, you talk about how culpable uh, the medical profession can be in all of this. And even when tests are available, doesn't the slow turnaround, often as much as eight to 10 days, make the tests a complete waste? You can have the test, yeah, and man. then while you're waiting for your results, you could wind up becoming infected. I am so happy you brought that up. I uh, am a personal testimony, and colleagues of mine have seen him where I do occasional commentary, the same experience. Uh, I'm at Cape Cod with my family on vacation. In order for us, we have actually three pods, uh, my daughter and my former wife and my son, and he has a pod, and I had one. We live separately, and we all quarantined for a number of days before we would come together here. We got tested not once but twice with five days in between because we were afraid of the events that might have not been picked up by the initial test. And uh, it took, in, my, in all of our cases, the fastest turnaround we got was 12 days. And in one case, my wife had a 14-day turnaround. Wow. And now, we're being good. We're being good, Leonard. We locked ourselves up between the time of the test and the time of the results. We were wearing masks amongst ourselves. We kept six feet apart. It's very hard when you're with your son and your daughter. You want to hug them. You want to hug your wife. And you can't because you're keeping distance and wearing a mask. And we did the right thing, we think. Nobody was coming in or out of the house. But what if we weren't? What if I, and we're all asymptomatic, okay? None of us showed any symptoms. We're taking our temperatures more times a day than you want to talk about. And no coughing, no fevers, no, no aches, no flu symptoms, nothing. And, and we were doing the right thing. What if we had said, 
hey, we're on vacation. Let's go out and have dinner. Let's go to a bar. Let's walk on the beach and talk to neighbors we haven't seen in months. Let's uh, uh, go to a water park, and on we go. Do you know how many people we could have infected? I, I'm frightened to think about the numbers, hundreds, if we were one of those asymptomatic people. What good is that test? The, the, the test we followed the rules, but I dare say uh, most people who are asymptomatic, particularly a younger than 30, would not have, and there would have been like a typhoid Mary event. So testing oh, what's is taking so long. It takes that what long. Keeps- what keeps them so long? Because uh, I also hear about people getting their results within a couple of days. Uh, in the White House, they get it within hours. Now, the White House testing, and this is very interesting. He likes to say he's being tested. I'd be, you know, putting politics aside, just the office of the president, I'd be very concerned because they're using the Abbott test, which is a, a, a liability of getting a, of a of an accurate negative reading on that can be as low as 50 and possibly as high as 70 percent. So it's only that's not a very reliable test. And and that's the quick turnaround. We do not have and we have not had. And since the beginning of this virus, we have not had a, a national testing strategy. It's not just about like in New York, we test anywhere from 60 to 80,000 a day, which is enormous. And we have yesterday a 0.9 percent infection rate, which is the best in the United States. And in Manhattan, it's even better. So uh, we're doing the right thing because we have in New York uh, the uh, reagents, we have the vials, we have the labs commission, but now the labs are getting overwhelmed. The reason that this is a problem and that, that, that we should have done better and the reason the delay in lag time is here is because we don't have sufficient labs testing. The, the personnel and the labs themselves aren't in sufficient quantity and numbers. And why is this? It goes back to a strategy. We did not implement the National Defense Production Act on day one and mandate the creation of labs. And what am I talking about? The NBA is supposed to open this week, Leonard. Any Celtics fans out there? Sure. The NBA is supposed to open. The Knicks fans, I would hope. Football. Or Nets fans here. <laughs> Mixed fans, thank you. Okay, I'm a Celtics And that's fans. It's <laughs> in New York. I forgot where I was. I'm in Cape Cod. So anyway, the uh, I didn't mention the Red Sox. Let's <laughs> beat them so the, I know they did. They just swept them back to the World Series in 1986 for me. So I'm uh, I'm watching the the testing results. The president could have implemented the Defense Act and implemented it in a way that we would have had adequate laboratory facilities. So the NBA is a classic example of what I'm talking about. They are testing their players every day. How can they get turnaround within 24 hours or less? Because they created their own lab with their own money. The federal government could have done the exact same thing. Thing. The NBA wasn't in the COVID testing business. But day one, they created a lab, hired the scientists, got the reagents, got the vials, created, got the swabs, had the personnel hired, and they're hired through the end of the playoffs. And they're testing, 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 as Nancy Pelosi likes to say. Why aren't we doing that? Why should the NBA players? receive instant turnaround on testing when teachers who are going to try to go back to school 
this coming within weeks uh, don't have that ability, when students don't have that ability. Why are we placing our children at risk and the people they live with at risk because we don't have adequate testing to determine if there's virus in our schools, in our work. We want If Trump wanted the economy back and having workers go back and jobs filled again, why hasn't he thought about a strategy of testing which uh, would allow instant feedback? Why well, against testing. The nation- it's incredible. We are the, we're the joke of the world. And he likes to say the virus is everywhere. No, it's not. It's not in Europe. It's not in most of Asia. They've, they've flattened it totally. And they can. the beauty of testing is once you flatten it, like here in uh, New York City where we're at 0. 0.9, 0. 0.8, uh, if something, some bar cheated in Queens, for example, uh, the governor would know immediately where that was and he could begin contact tracing and shut the virus down from spreading by immediately pouncing on those people who were at that bar at that hour. And so that's the beauty of, of having adequate testing and, and getting the virus knocked way down in terms of the rate of spread. As I say, it's under 1% in New York right now. New York State yesterday is 0.93. So if you got it that low, then outliers, in this case people with the virus, they pop up on your radar screen immediately, and then the governor, with the help of former Mayor Mike Bloomberg, who put up some money, we have 100,000 contact tracers in New York State. That's more than the whole country combined. More than the whole country combined. And so he can send 100 contact tracers right to that bar, and immediately they do the detective work, find out who was there, uh, who did they come into contact with, and everybody gets shut down for 14 days, which then prevents super spreading from taking place. That's how the math works. That's how the science works. Uh, Dr. Goldhaber, I have to take a little break here. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. get back to my conversation with Dr. Jerry Goldhaber. We've been playing Murder Incorporated because that's the title of his most recent book. I'd like to ask you to consider contributing to this station to help us weather all of the financial problems that this pandemic has caused us. We need all of our listeners who can to step up right now and go to our website, give to WBAI.org. That's give and the number two WBAI.org or to call 516-620-3602 to help keep this show and the station on the air. Again, that number, 516-620-3602. Our website, give to WBAI.org. And one great way to support WBAI throughout the year and also spread out your financial commitment so that it's only a small amount taken out of your 
credit card or bank account each month is to become a sustaining member of the station, what we call a BAI buddy. BAI buddies are the backbone of our financial support here at WBAI, but we have lost a good number of them to the financial problems that the coronavirus has brought. So please consider signing up as a BAI buddy for some of your fellow listeners who've been forced to suspend their men- memberships. Um, joining me now, I hope, is my executive producer, Jesse. Okay, well, Jesse's not there right now, but uh, Jesse was going to tell you about a special offer that we are making to anyone who signs up today to become a BAI buddy. Hi, Jesse. <laughs> I, I just managed to break through there in the last minute. Great to be here. Yes, as Leonard has been saying, uh, BAI buddies are sustaining members of the station. They contribute $10, $20, any amount you like every month. Uh, you can stop any time. It's taken out of your credit card or your debit card, whatever's easiest for you. And this really allows us to plan for the future and to show management just the kind of audience that Leonard Lopate at large has and how engaged that audience is. And to sweeten the deal, if you become a BAI buddy today, uh, in the name of Leonard Lopate at large, we would be delighted to send you a free copy of the most recent book by today's guest, Dr. Gerald M. Goldhaber, entitled Murder Incorporated, How Unregulated Industry Kills or Injures Thousands of Americans Every Year and What You Can Do About It. Now, Leonard, obviously, we had Dr. Goldhaber on the show back in March when the book came out, or or I believe it was a little after March, it might have been April, April. uh, to talk about the book. But obviously, there is still a lot of other things that Dr. Goldhaber is more than qualified to talk about and, in fact, pretty fascinating to listen to, right? Yes. Well, he has been he has a uh, newsletter and he has been covering the the current situation. Uh, And that's we're pretty much trying to bring people up to date. Uh, The uh, the book Murder Incorporated is is an overview. It'll be just as relevant next year as it was when it was published. So we hope that people will uh, become BAI buddies, whether you want the, the, the book or not. Uh, or just become a member of WBAI because we need every kind of show of support that's possible. We are listener-sponsored. We don't take ads. We don't uh, take funding from corporations or foundations or anyone else. It's just our listeners. Uh, it's a very pure way of approaching things, but it also can sometimes lead, leave us in a big hole. So we hope that you'll help us dig out of that hole by giving us that call once again, the number 516-620-3602. Go to our website, give to WBAI.org. And Jesse, anything else you want to say before we uh, remind them that they could make the contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large? Right. And again, to give the number out one last time, it's 516-620-3602, or the web is give to WBAI. Dot org, the website that is. And like Leonard was saying, you know, this uh, BAI buddy offer to get Dr. Goldhaber's book, Murder Incorporated, How Unregulated Industry Kills or Injures Thousands of Americans Every Year and What You Can Do About It, that's something we thought um, that many of you would respond to. But whatever level you can contribute to WBAI, uh, it, it all is critical 
to keeping the show on the air. Now, we know that we've been coming to you for a while now with with this sort of new normal of needing to, to ask for your support in every show. And maybe maybe you're getting a little bit burnt out. But what we're hoping is that there's at least one person out there who hasn't heard this before. Or maybe just maybe something in my voice or Leonard's voice has made you decide that today is the day that you're going to step up because you care about this show, because you want to support your fellow listeners. And without you, there is no Leonard Lopate at large. So a big thank you to everyone who's who supported the show. And one last time, that number is 516-620-3602 or go to give to WBAI.org. I realized I said that was the last time twice, yeah. so please excuse the obfuscation <laughs> on my You're part. Forgiven. But we need the support, and I'm going to let you get back to this conversation. Yeah. But again, thank you from all of us to everyone who's helping to support this show and keep us on the air. And my guest is Dr. Gerald Goldhaber, publisher of the monthly Goldhaber Warnings Report, which reaches over 10,000 lawyers nationally. Uh, he uh, is the author of Murder Incorporated. I'm not going to go through that whole long subtitle but you've heard it before. Uh, and uh, I, I want, we have so much to cover, but I want to cover some of the things. Uh, we regularly see reports of TV protesters calling the pandemic a hoax. The president once called it that also fake news. And, and just this past weekend, Sinclair, a major news broadcast group aired a conspiracy theory that suggests Dr. Anthony Fauci was responsible for the creation of the virus. So uh, we're, all sorts of interesting things are out there uh, to confuse the situation. And you say that corporations have been deliberately targeting communities of color with devious ads and sponsorships of, of church and other activities. Unfortunately, the... Uh the reality is that with COVID, the Band-Aid's been pulled off. Uh, what it has now done, that and George Floyd together created a positive, I guess the, the way the John Lewis would say, good trouble for America, is that with this Band-Aid pulled off, and what's the, what do I mean by that? That it has shown that the, the, uh, the, the virus has actually become very racist in the sense that communities of color have been adversely affected. And people now, and I mean by people, I mean white people particularly, are starting to see that this is a systemic issue. Why is the virus adversely affecting communities of color by factors of three to seven times more than communities that are more white? Why? Because who is more likely to be living in crowded housing? Who's more likely to be living in impoverished situations with food insecurity that leads to healthy diets and stronger immunity systems? Who's less likely to have access to quality health care? Who has poor educational systems? All of these things add up and create, as I've used the phrase, and I don't want to overuse it, this perfect storm of societal, cultural, systemic factors that led to the COVID by absolute scientific verification uh, striking communities of color. As a few examples in the city of Milwaukee, people of color are 26%, and yet COVID was 70% people of color. In LA, same thing, 70 to 32%. 
in Chicago, 70 to 30%, meaning 70% of all COVID cases were people of color versus the total population of color in the area. Uh, in New York, the discrepancy was less, but still present in communities of color. And pre-existing conditions, the doctors are fond of telling us, is a mitigating factor that predicts you're more likely to suffer from get COVID or get a worse case of COVID. People who have asthma, hypertension, diabetes, obesity, heart issues. Well, uh, guess who those folks happen to be in a predominant uh, statistical level? They happen to be 40% more likely to have exposure to pre-existing conditions that subject them to COVID are people of color. So, and then, COVID and you add to that food insecurity, lack of access to quality health care, poverty, poor job opportunities, as well as the the challenges, as you've been mentioning, of dealing with our current law enforcement system. One of my, and and that, that's why the George Floyd factor comes in because when COVID showed America. You know, and, and the president said, well, I just don't know why. We'll have to look into this. I said, what a fool. I don't know why communities of color are, are dying at a higher rate than people who are white. Everybody knows that when you look at what we just talked about, the lack of health care, the lack of food, the impoverished conditions leading to crowded housing and many families living in a small apartment where this is exactly the kind of environment COVID loves. COVID was has, that environment. And hasn't it been noted that there's often poor air quality in minority areas, and that can lead to a higher rate of uh, coronavirus cases? Uh, so uh, climate change can, is a factor here, isn't it? Bill Mitchell, who's a radio yeah. host and strong Trump backer, even called the coronavirus climate change 2.0. He's absolutely correct, because we've known for decades that communities of color, because they live in crowded conditions where, uh, in lower housing where you might have industrial facilities crowded up against your housing, polluting the environment, you see statistics that document this with higher rates of asthma, higher rates of COPD, respiratory infections, all existed prior, but we didn't talk about it. And we didn't talk about, for example, right here in New York, if you go to the North Bronx, there's a huge food distribution system where trucks are coming in and out, heavy-duty trucks all hours of the day and night, polluting the atmosphere where people who are crowded in. This is AOC's own district and uh, her district. And she's speaking out about it, thank goodness, and saying that our folks are dying from pre-existing conditions before COVID. And now the band-aid's ripped off, it's getting even worse. What makes this egregious is right now, as we speak, Leonard, uh, the uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are negotiating with uh, 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 Mark Meadows, the president's chief of staff, and Steve Mnuchin, the secretary of treasury. And McConnell stepped out of this because he knows how explosive that would be. They're trying to come up with the next and hopefully the biggest package for COVID relief to these folks most of whom we call essential workers, and, and the Republicans are saying, let's cut that unemployment uh, benefit, which has been a federal benefit of 600 added on to in New York. The max is around 400 or 500. And so the Republican mantra nationally has been, you're getting more than you would work, get it work. And my response to our listeners is, 
if that's the case, then that really exposes how low you were paying these people in the first place. If living in New York City, if you're getting $1,000 a week in unemployment benefits uh, and, and that's being called uh, more money than you were making in your job, rather than saying that's an incentive to go back to work, my question is, why would you want to be told this is essential work and yet we're going to pay you bottom line poverty wages? So, again, the Band-Aid is being ripped off, and I hope America is waking up and certainly, if there, when this election takes place in November, if the Senate changes hands, you're going to see a remarkable change in how we view the social contract, because that's what we're talking about here, aren't we? We're talking about the yeah. social contract between people in our government as to what we will view as important, and saving our lives is certainly at the top of the list. We have just a couple of minutes left, but I wanted to bring up one other thing that you referred to. This past Monday, President Trump and his son Donald Jr. retweeted a viral video that was yanked by Facebook, later YouTube and Twitter, for pushing false information about cures and treatment for COVID-19. It was originally posted by the Breitbart site and featured four people who identified themselves as doctors speaking in front of the Supreme Court building. One of them has gotten a lot of attention on the air, uh, Dr. Stella Emanuel who uh, says that we don't need to wear masks. Uh, she says that hydroxychloroquine uh, is a cure for COVID-19. And um, it was interesting. I looked her up on her Facebook page. She describes herself as a physician, author, speaker, entrepreneur, deliverance minister, God's battle axe, and a weapon of war. Uh, you, you talk about people as being false prophets. It sounds like she fits your example. Uh, she's... She has threatened Facebook with God's wrath. So uh, this is uh, part of what the fight is all about. Uh, I, I understand that we have just uh, lost contact with Dr. Goldhaber, and we're close to out of time, but uh, I was hoping to hear his response to all of that, especially especially the fact that, uh, that right now, uh, I've been. Uh, I've read that there. So far, there it, it's been indicated that there is no. Right now, there are no drugs that actually uh, can be used to to fight this this terrible pandemic. Uh, I don't know if you heard what I just said, but uh, do you want to sum up? Because we are pretty much out of uh, out of time here. We got about another two minutes or so. Well, uh, first and foremost, uh, right now we don't have a cure for COVID. Let the listeners understand that. There are some medications that are available that can treat you at, uh, if you're seriously ill, but we don't have a cure. But remdesivir is in short a, supply. And it's very much so in short supply, and a lot of that, unfortunately, is through the hoarding of the Trump administration itself. So the very drug that may have some benefit at the later stages has been hoarded and is so-called being distributed uh, at, at the, to, to Trump's cronies and friends in the uh, different governorships. I want to say to your listeners, I'm going to be addressing these issues in my new podcast, which is being launched called Exposed, an exclusive look behind the curtain of corporate greed. Uh, exposed an exclusive look behind the curtain of corporate greed is launching this week. And uh, we're going to be looking at these very issues and we're going to pull the curtain behind and uh, offer some more insights into things that people don't get normally. And how can people access that podcast? 
anywhere they listen to podcasts. If you, I, I, my producers tell me that, like you were victims of our producers, right? And uh, they tell me it's available everywhere you get a podcast. Oh, and we'll be talking about the things we've just been discussing. Uh, we'll go into some detail, but I'm going to focus on corporate greed as a motivator as to why we in the public don't really have access to the safety information we need to make informed choices. Because that's the whole point of my book. It's to get us to make informed choices. And again, I've said it, and I'll say it again. My brand is the warnings doctor. I'm not the warnings nanny. I'll lead you to the water, but I can't make you drink. Uh, with COVID, we've seen 84% of drinking the water, and that's a good thing. Uh, but unfortunately, with other things, it's not such a good thing. Dr. Gerald Goldhaber, his uh, latest book, Murder Incorporated, How Unregulated Industry Kills or Injures Thousands of Americans Every Year and What You Can Do About It. It's published by Publish Your Purpose Press. He is also the publisher of the monthly Goldhaber Warnings Report and now will have his own podcast. It's been a great pleasure having you on our show again. I love coming back to you, and I hope your listeners will donate to support your excellent work. You're terrific, and your show is performing a major public service in New York and throughout the country. So please donate to Leonard Lopate on the show. Oh, thank you so much. And that does bring us to the end of today's show. If you've just discovered this program and you like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as an iTunes podcast. And our website, lettedlocatedlarge.com, also has links to all of our past shows. And don't forget to follow our show pages on Facebook and Twitter. And if there's anything that you would like to tell me about this or any of our shows, or to say hello, you can reach me by email at leonardlopate at wbai.org. As I mentioned earlier, WBAI is in a very difficult position these days because of the pandemic. Uh, so if you value the kind of informative, in-depth interviews that we bring you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m., we hope that we will go right now to our website, give to wbai.org, or call 516-620-3602 to help keep this 100% listener-sponsored radio station alive in the New York uh, radio dial. Uh, and uh, we are powered by your generosity alone, as I said. We are totally listener-sponsored. Uh, if you'd like to get a free copy of the book by today's guest, Gerald M. Goldhaber's Murder Incorporated, How Unregulated Industry Kills or Injures Thousands of Americans Every Year, and What You Can Do About It, we hope you'll sign up today to become a BAI buddy. We'd love to send it to you as our way of saying thanks for supporting the programming that we bring you every day on Let It at Large. Uh, and you have to say that you're due, you are giving it in, in the name of Leonard Lopate at Large. You can find out more at give2wbai.org or by calling 516-620-3602. We hope you'll join us again tomorrow when Bob Henley will discuss evictions and rent freezes in the time of the coronavirus. Have any questions on the topic for Bob? Write to me at that address, Leonard Lopate at wbai.org, and I'll, I'll include it in the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. See you tomorrow.